welcome to the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, a podcast for those who wish to live a gentler, kinder way of life. Oh, I am so delighted to have you here. This is season two of the podcast and I'll be interviewing some truly wonderful souls on their journey in self-kindness. But first, I'd better introduce myself. I'm Peter, a self-kindness and intuitive eating coach. I live in Cornwall and work with soulful nourishers all over the world with one-to-one and group coaching programs. I always have a cup of tea in my hand and a cat within stroking distance. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, just search at Nourishing Soulfully and visit nourishingsoulfully.co.uk for updates on new courses, workshops and one-to-one offerings. At the moment on the website there's a brilliant five-day video course on creating balance in your life, which is free of charge and you can join the Nourishing Soulfully Club too to gain access to the library full of workshops, courses, ebooks and audio meditations and breathing techniques. But that's enough about me for now. Let's delve into this week's episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. I would like to dedicate this episode to our dear Tina Bear, who passed away on Friday the 21st of October. I know that if you have listened to season one of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast, you'll know Tina for all of her purring. And if you have taken part in Elevate, you will definitely know Tina because while she was well, she never missed a single Elevate kindness class. I know that in this episode, I can speak um, quite easily around the loss of a pet, which is um, a lot easier than I can now. Um, due to us very recently losing Tina. However, it was really important to me that I was able to take a moment to dedicate this episode to Tina as I speak about caring for her in the final chapter of her life. Tina, we miss you so very much and we love you forever and always. Now let's get into this beautiful episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. Today on the podcast, I'd like to welcome Jodie Fletcher of The Diva Connection. Jodie connects wonderful souls to their soul light and she offers spiritual guidance and psychic readings and has recently published her first book, The Journal of a Spiritual Seeker. Welcome to the podcast, Jodie. It is an absolute delight to have you here. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so glad to be able to chat with you like this. Oh, I, I feel very, very honoured. Um, first off, I wanted to speak to you about your book because it's incredible. And oh, thank I'm you. I'm in love with it already. I've just, I'm so excited about it. Um, and I haven't even finished reading it yet. So my idea was that I thought I'd skim read through it quickly. Um, it arrived a few days ago and I was like, ahead of the podcast interview, I'll, I'll get through it and, and it'll be, I'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And just a few pages in, I knew that this book requires time and patience to truly, really kind of connect with the words and and the energy and the meaning behind it. And if I'm on, there's only one other book I have felt like this about, and it is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, wow. (laughs) It, It truly feels like that. I'm reading it and like I was reading it in the bath last night and I was like, no, there's no, I, I need my pencils to like underline things and to highlight things and yeah. to journal on things. Cause my copy of the power of now, I don't know if I had it here. I don't, it's so, 
like it's it's falling apart it's been read that many times because I underline yeah. things and I highlight things and I go back to it and I really feel like your book is like that for me too wow thank you what what a huge compliment because that book is it's interesting that that's the book because I got that book when I was like 21 years old I think it was it hadn't been out super long it wasn't like you know but I think it had already picked up a lot of momentum and I heard of it and I got it and I read a little bit of it, but it was not the time. And I moved with that book. I moved a lot in my early 20s. And so I moved with that book over and over and over and over and over and over. And finally, one day I picked it up and it was like exactly the right time. And it pulled together so many things I needed to hear. So like, oh, to think that 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 the work that was a part of my life and my healing is is in any way comparable is just like, wow, thank you. <laughs> Oh no, it, it truly is. It's the only as soon as I started reading it, I was I was actually shocked by that feeling that came over me because that's the book that when I when I need that guidance and when I need that feeling yeah. and to kind of tune in to that part of me, that's the book I go to. Yeah. Um it, it's incredible. So your book is about connecting um you to your inner guidance to access more clarity and wisdom and awareness. And it is so beautifully written and there are so many truly valuable exercises in there. Could you tell us a little bit more about the exercises? Yeah, so um, some of them came about just as the result of like my own guidance in terms of what I was told to do, how I was told to do things. Um, and some of it was just like, as I was writing it, I would ask the light to come through with an exercise to go with each post. And so, um, or entry rather. And so they just, they just flowed like that. They're, I think they're like very different kinds of exercises too. Mm -hmm. Like some of them are just like one little visualization. Some of them are journal prompts. So I think it gives people a good sense of like, one of the things I hear a lot from people, and I'm sure you hear this a lot in your work too, is like that they don't feel like they're good at spiritual stuff. Like yes. I'm not a good meditator. I'm not a good like whatever visualizer. I'm, I'm not good at journaling. I can't keep up on it. And one of the things that I get so often in guidance for people is like, it's day to day to day to day. Like you don't have to be good and it's going to change. And it just is a practice. So one of the things that as I'm like, as you ask this, and I'm looking at the, the energy of the different exercises, I think they give people an opportunity to see that it doesn't have to just be one thing. It doesn't yeah. just have to be like whatever your guided meditation app tells you is the way to meditate or whatever your favorite YouTube meditator tells you how to do it or, you know, your favorite journal prompt, um, like generator says to do it. It's like, you can take all your favorite parts of every single thing that you're learning and just ask within, like, what do I need today? Yes. And I try and make really clear in the beginning of the book, like, if you don't like it, don't do it. Because that's the whole point is to figure out what your soul is calling you to learn and what your own inner guidance is trying to show you. So that, that's what I, I hoped to accomplish through that. I think you completely and utterly accomplished that. And I think that the exercises as well 
I think often we can feel like if we are going to be good at anything like this, at any of this practice, that we must dedicate hours to it. But there's a real range of time within these exercises, but also you decide that yourself, don't you? It's yes. you decide how much energy and time you're going to put into it. Yeah. And, you know, unlike my own practice, I have had exercises that I've been doing for years. Like my grounding exercise really hasn't changed much over the years, but other things have really come and gone. Yeah. And so it all really what, what I'm getting right now is that it all depends on what we're healing. And mm -hmm. so with, with our different layers of healing, as they come about, different energies and frequencies of our tools are going to work differently. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, complete sense. It really does. I I really enjoy reading the journal pages. Could you share with us a little bit how about how you go about journaling and, and kind of tuning into those words and that energy in order to get those words on paper? Yeah, I just um I always make sure to I always begin by grounding and protecting because anytime we're opening ourselves up in that way, I think it's extremely important to be grounded and protected. Mm. And, you know, um, I always say it, it's not all love and light out there. A lot of people say that, but you know, it's, I think that we don't have to look very far to see how much it's not all love and light out there. So we want to be sure that anytime we're opening ourselves up in any way spiritually, that we're doing so in the most grounded and most protected way possible so that we're not opening ourselves up to anything that doesn't belong. You know, we have, we have like a, a sacred right to our spiritual autonomy, just like we have like a sacred right to our bodily autonomy, you know? So it's very important that we remember that and like hold that in a, in a sort of fierce way of like, this is my protected bubble. And what I'm inviting in is light and only light. And therefore like the, the messages from our souls or from our guides or from the light will be in keeping with our intention to be channeling light and only light. And then therefore, so I start out with, you know, um, calling on some of my favorite beings that I work with which is like Archangel Michael, Archangel Gabriel, Archangel Uriel, and Archangel Raphael. Um, I have a couple of personal guides that I work with and I call on them. Um, I have a, a, a strong connection with the Christ light, but I like to be sure to always mention to people that that doesn't have anything to do with the religion of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, I came up uh, like as a Christian when I was a kid and left religion. Um, for many people, religion is the like is the way that they express their spirituality and no disrespectment to that. But for a lot of people, it is really not. And there's like a lot of people feel very harmed by a lot of organized religion. So one of the things I like to make clear in working with beings of light is like we can work with whichever ones we resonate with, regardless of, you know, like any kind of affiliation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. So I, um, so I call on Christ, I call on the army of light. I really, really like these energies of these, like these sort of steadfast, strong protectors that, you know, mm -hmm. that we can call on to surround us with just like such strong light, you know, and, um, 
And then I do my grounding, which if, if people aren't familiar, is just a basic exercise of like visualizing a ball of light above your head, bringing it down through your head, your whole body, out the bottoms of your feet, into the earth to meet up with a ball of light below, like equidistance. I do 50 feet above and below. And then bringing light from the earth up through the ball of light below, up and completely surrounding your body and your electromagnetic field, and then going up to meet back up with the ball of light above. So those things as like basic psychic hygiene mm -hmm. is like what I do before I, before I start any kind of channel writing. That's incredible. That's amazing. If anyone would like to kind of work out which guides and, and which archangels and, and who they'd like to call upon, how could they go about those, those first steps in doing that? Well, I think that if you ask to be shown and then you pay attention, you'll get some, some like, like maybe you'll see, um, you know, Archangel Michael pops up somewhere mm -hmm. in, you know, in your like Instagram feed or yeah. on something. But also what I heard when you asked is that people can use Oracle card decks um, mm -hmm. that they resonate with. So, so one of the things that I think is the most important, one of the most important aspects of what I'm guided to help people with is to, to find what you resonate with and to tune into yourself to see what feels good. Yeah. So as you're shopping for Oracle card decks, like, which ones make your heart lift? Which ones make you feel different in the best possible way? Which ones maybe like, maybe some people get like, um, you know, tingles on their body or chills kind of in a good way. Yeah. Um, and which ones do you think like, oh, I don't like that. Mm. Um, so you can use like, I think there's a lot of really great Oracle card decks that have like angels or, um, different different guides different beings of light so you can start there I think that'd be a really great way to start to work with some different energies um and see who who you like best yeah. who, who's your favorite <laughs> yeah which connections come up and I guess that if possible wherever possible to do to kind of when you're looking for those oracle card decks just like anything it's better if you can do it in person because you can get a real sense in holding that deck and looking at yeah. it and often I find anything like that even when I'm looking at journals and um, crystals or, or books or anything within spirituality when I'm looking at it online I find it quite difficult to connect with it um, mm -hmm. also like I, I spoke to you about your book and I said I, I need a hard copy because I, yeah. I find for some reason I cannot read anything which isn't fiction on a screen I just I can't connect with it even when I'm learning and studying I have to print everything off yeah because I can't seem to connect with it at all I'm the same way with books and like I recently well it's maybe been more than a year now I got a book um a fiction book I really wanted to read and um I got it on on my iPad and I I had such a terrible headache after reading it I was just well it, it was also a book that I I was like, I'm going to read this whole book as fast as I can because it was really good. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time staring at that screen, but I'm the same way with books. I'm just like kind of surrounded by, by paper books that 
feel they carry an energy there's that that, that that's exactly it and I, yeah. I feel like I don't know why but having books around me my books around me yeah really makes me feel at home and all of these mm -hmm. stories written by wonderful souls and part of their energy and their soul is within each book it was yeah. one of the things that when we moved from Barcelona to Cornwall I was really adamant I wanted to bring my books with me yeah and and there was this part of me thinking oh you, that's a lot of heavy boxes that you really don't need to be moving across the world and you know you can always get them on kindle or you could buy them in charity shops really cheaply and like I'm sure you'll find many of them again I couldn't part with them I was just like absolutely not I, I just love them I love being surrounded by books me too and I have books that like I've always had you know like I have the copy of like all my copies of the Anne of Green Gables books that I had when I was a kid, you know, and like, there's just some that like, even this really silly, I'm looking at my bookshelves as we're talking and like this really silly series called The Gymnast that I was really into when I was about like maybe seven or eight. And I, I just can't get rid of any of them. I maybe like a little bit of a hoarder around books, but I just love them. I love them so much. <laughs> Me too. Um, so uh, what I also noticed, I kind of flicked to the back of the book, just to have a little look through it as well. Yeah. Um, and there was a, a couple of gem, journal entries there that I really loved because I do the same thing of almost a Q&A. Um, yeah. And I love doing that when journaling, asking a yeah. question, like asking questions I'm really stuck on in situations and things I maybe don't understand or I'm becoming mm -hmm. very frustrated with and just waiting to hear the answer and just yeah. letting my pen write that answer mm -hmm. it truly gives me great peace yes. great comfort and also the answers that I'm looking for maybe not like the exact answer to a question but it's almost like it offers comfort in a way that that answer is good enough whatever happens it's enough mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because like I'm um, in looking back through the, the journals that have since started to become books is like how often I needed to ask the same question to get to new and different layers of it. You know, so it's like in that process, it was like just unwinding and unwinding and unwinding more and more and more to get to deeper and deeper truths. And I think that for most people, the, the more we go into like any kind of increase of our spiritual awareness, the less our bottom lines become like where we thought they were. You know, it's like you keep finding there's more depth, more underneath, like things that I thought were like absolute hard and fast truths. There's like more nuance, more layer. And so I, I, sometimes wonder like as I'm like humanly typing these things up like oh here I am asking about resistance again or asking about this blockage again or asking about codependent patterning again you know but it takes it it takes a lot of delving doesn't it to get into oh, real truths real healing yeah and and rewording the question and yeah listening to that answer again and even going back and going oh hang on a minute I perceived that answer very differently when I got it at the time now re 
reading it that's not what that meant at all and it's so I also find that with that those multi layers of things mm-hmm. um come about even when we look back on our history and we start and we really start to understand understand ourselves and we find it a lot in personal development when you're really learning about yourself and about your true self that you look back and you start asking questions that actually no you didn't decide to do that because of the very surface-based decision you thought you made and reason you thought you made it for but there's Mm. loads of reasons below it that you made that decision so it might be that you decided to do something because um, it was the most sensible thing to do at the time but below that is an element of it was the safest thing to do at the time and below that it was the most comfortable thing to do at the time and below that the other options were way too scary and Mm -hmm. with each time we kind of delve a little bit more we find out and discover more about ourselves don't we Yes, definitely. And what an opening for forgiveness and compassion for self that is, because once we are able to look at more nuance in understanding where we were coming from and what we were doing and how we were maybe like acting out our own pain, our own trauma, our own fear, then we can sort of wrap ourselves up in like really true compassion and forgive whatever we didn't like about or didn't understand at the time yeah absolutely I couldn't agree more um one of the things that you mentioned that you would probably like to speak about on today's podcast was that chronic illness can often be a gateway to a deeper spiritual practice and I think this leads in quite nicely because there is much self-kindness needed within that too isn't there yes and I always like to hold a really tender space around talking about this because um, I think it can be really easily misunderstood that like what arguably can be one of the worst things to ever happen to someone can also be an opening for some of the most important discoveries of their lives. So, you know, um, I had a friend who who got into a terrible car accident years ago and like really like people would say some things about like things happening for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's like that that's not the energy we're bringing here. It's not like things happen for a reason. It's also though like what am I open to learning through experiences that are like can be can be really really hard so if anyone's not at the point where they can view um like their own experience as like an, a gateway for greater healing greater awareness greater spiritual understanding um i understand completely i wasn't it took a while right yeah absolutely it does take a while and i think it it can be really frustrating chronic illness can be because much of chronic illness is all around our energy and our capacity and how that then affects our physical body. Yes. It can be so frustrating because maybe mentally you want to go and do stuff. And I still get frustrated now with myself and I've done so much work around energy and understanding myself and understanding that there are times when physically I just can't do certain things. And that's, 
that's just how it is and I have to rest end of and yeah. I can't go rowing or I can't go surfing or I can't go for a walk it just is what it is but yeah. I would still this part of my mind that's going but we should be or but yeah. I want to be I want to be able to do that and there are so many lessons each and every time that these frustrations come up there's that opportunity to learn more about yourself and learn more about where maybe that idea of should is coming from where mm-hmm. to find the patients to understand it better to kind of yeah. think, oh hang on a minute am I comparing myself to someone else maybe that's it within my oh. uh, day-to-day life or online am I feeling yeah. like I need to do x y and z for a certain reason what's yeah. kind of creeping in here that's causing me not to be able to listen and respect my body with where it's at right now knowing that may change and that may alter and better days will come where I can do those things. Yes. And, and sometimes too, you know, I think that if, if the people around you haven't experienced the same kind of, you know, um, at times disabling pain or fatigue, they won't ever really understand it. So they might be able to sort of grasp a concept, but they're not going to, I know like in my life, I had a lot of people who, you know, just didn't get that. Like I couldn't go out with them anymore. I couldn't, I wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't personal. I just like, if I only have such a limited amount of energy, I don't want to, yeah. at, at times, you know, it was like, all I could do was take a shower every day. And that was like my goal for the day. Yeah. So like, and I was doing great. Like, and then I was laying down for the rest of the day. Um, I didn't want to, there was like nothing in me that wanted to like go out and meet up or, you know, so I think that like, that's another thing that, that can be really, that can cause a lot of grief is that, that element of what people expect of you too, and how they're not, they don't understand then what, what it means, what it really, really means in a day-to-day life kind of way. Yeah, and it's meeting their expectations with your truth and your honesty. Yeah. And showing up for yourself time Mm -hmm. and time again and going, I know these are your expectations, but here's what I'm able to do today. Or here's what I want to do today. Here's what I'm protecting in terms of my energy in my body. Yeah, and what a beautiful thing it is to be able to say, this is what I want to do. And that was one of the ways in which like, I really had to, I had to break codependent patterns because I was such a people pleaser and I was so willing to like, you know, take every phone call and run myself ragged and do whatever it was. And then I was no longer able to be there in that way for people. And so, you know, it, so at first it was like, I, I can't you know, but like, it's okay to not want to, too. And that doesn't like, that doesn't mean anything bad about you. You get to say what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Yeah. But I think we're conditioned in ways and, and, you know, like particularly people who, who have a tendency towards codependency are conditioned in ways to like, think that it's bad to say, this is what I want right now, or, you know, but I think it does have to start sometimes breaking the cycle with this is what I need right now. Yeah. And that's incredibly valid as well. Yeah. And yourself, what do I need right now? Because like, for those listening, when was the last time you asked yourself, what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing probably for the majority of listeners, 
not very recently at all yeah we don't tend to ask ourselves that like what do I need in this moment what do I need today and what a beautiful reset that is that's that's like such a wonderful exercise Uh, that is meditative that is mindfulness like that is bringing yourself back to center and regrounding and then you you can like take it a step further and like check in with your senses and see what you know, like what, how are you actually operating in that moment? Mm. And what is your perception of need in that moment? Yeah. And letting it, letting it unfold and and like really listening to the truth of what your body and your heart and your mind, that combo is telling you. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's about questioning it as well. If you say, Mm -hmm. what do I need right now? And automatically you go sleep and questioning that, do I, do I need sleep or do I need a form of rest? Yeah. No, I need rest. Okay. What does rest look like? What kind of rest? Because Mm -hmm. it might be that it's not physical rest that you need, but it's mind rest and and you need to be getting out and hiking and and doing something in nature movement wise that gives your mind a rest. Mm -hmm. Or it might be using your mind in a different way to give that part of your brain that's constantly worrying and thinking about things a rest. Yeah. It's it's kind of coming back at it with another question, isn't it? And just making sure and just saying, hang on a minute, are we sure that's what we need? Or could it possibly be this? Could maybe we need this, which is also a form of rest? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I find it, I, I find that question really interesting. And it's one that I quite often prompt clients to ask themselves. And another thing that I prompt clients to do is to create five minutes or 10 minutes of space in their day, which is not filled. Mm-hmm. And it's just space. And by that, I literally mean just space. So for me, on, on one of the walks that I do, there's a bench there. It's the most beautiful bench, but it's hidden and it's mm. made of granite. And on the bench, it says the navigator. Um, and it's just so, the view from it is beautiful. And I will just sit there and do nothing. Mm-hmm. And there's, Because even meditation, sometimes we can work ourselves up so much that we need to be doing meditation to meditate that yeah. <laughs> we don't meditate in the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, And so I challenge clients to fit in five or 10 minutes of a day of space, whether that's sat on their back door step Mm -hmm. or sat on their sofa or in their bed or on a walk where they can just sit down, where they they just do nothing and let everything just kind of fizzle and ground. Almost, I explain it a little bit like, you know, when you shake a snow globe? Yeah. And often our day-to-day is that constant shaking of the snow globe and it never gets put down it's just shaking and shaking and shaking all day long and this space allows us to put the snow globe down and Mm. all of the little pieces of snow slowly settle onto the ground I love that yeah it's I think I don't we just don't have space in our day there's no time in our day It's so interesting because, you know, that like going back to chronic illness as an, as a gateway, you know, um, that was what happened to me was that I didn't have any space for years and years and years and years. I just ran and ran and ran and ran. And then my health just started to deteriorate and I always had issues, but like, then when I hit my early thirties, it just started going 
well, actually maybe my late twenties, even it started going way downhill. And then I got to the point where I was like, basically pretty much bed bound, pretty much homebound. I was just going out for doctor's appointments at that point. And I mean, I had nothing but space and I had no capacity to do anything but hold space. And I was just, I couldn't, I, I was a writer before then, you know, before like this, the spiritual aspect um, took precedence in my life. Um, I was a newspaper reporter. And so I identified as a newspaper reporter. I was like, that's, that's who I am. I'm a writer. And so part of what happened was my cognitive function um, went like way, I, I had such bad brain fog that I couldn't write anymore. I couldn't form sentences anymore. And I had to just lay there and watch TV for a couple of years. And luckily, like I have like um, a really great capacity to watch television shows. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I could still crochet. So I would just lay there and I would crochet. Most days I could still, I could still make my hands work. Um, but, you know, that, that I just, all of my goals, all of my intentions, every hope and dream got taken away. And I was left with like presence. Mm -hmm. I was left with being present. And, you know, like that's the power of now. Like that was like, he talks about presence and it's like, that is what I was left. With. That was the only thing I was left with yeah. was presence. And I have to remind myself of that now that I'm like more functional again. And I still have, you know, like some, some, I'm, I'm still not like, um, at the point where I could be out like working a job outside the home or anything like that but I have a lot that I can do I can write again I can do readings I can do a lot of different things that I can garden you know um but I have to remind myself when I get too caught up in like you know like goals or trying to determine outcomes or things like that that make my energy field spin that like return to that presence because I'm still just like I'm still here and that's all that actually matters is like right this moment it, it is it's just now isn't it it's and it, yeah and I would have never learned that any other way other than getting really really sick for yeah. me that was the only way that like the the with my makeup and my perfectionism and my like you know it's just like always I was always running I was like that kind of person was always running um I just never I never would have well and truth be told, looking back, and this is where we employ a lot of self-forgiveness, I had a lot of opportunities mm. before I got really sick to learn all of those lessons. I had a lot of opportunities Lord. along the way. <laughs> yeah. But eventually, it's like, well, if you're not going to take these opportunities to learn these lessons, we will do something very big and very drastic about it so that you do. Yeah, yeah. And so... You know, that was, that was like a big gateway for me. And mm -hmm. I think it is for a lot of people. I think that, um, you know, like I said, at, at the beginning of was talking about it, it's not necessarily going to be where everyone's at to be able to look at like, arguably something that is really, really hard and, and does create a lot of um, really intense feelings within, especially when your body is, is, is not is the thing that you have to fight against. Like, it's like, but it's not fighting against it. I know we know, but it feels like it at times where it's like, this is, this is the thing that, that 
that is my biggest challenge, you know, um, is this vessel I live in on this planet. Um, but, you know, if you can, if you can gain that presence around like it being an opportunity to discover things you never would have discovered. One of the biggest things that I was able to do, like, you know, I, I had to quit my job. I had to move back in with my mom. Um, we then, as I started to feel better a little bit, we were able then to help take care of my great aunt and great uncle who were the grandparents of my heart at the end of their lives. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with my beloved animal friends at the end of their lives. Like I was able to be really present in some really important moments yeah. in my life and the lives of people and animals I loved that I, you like, those aren't things that people can do when they're working jobs and live hundreds of miles away. Like it just, and, and so it was really easy for me, especially once we started taking care of, of our darlings as they were leaving this earth. It was really easy for me to go like, look at what I have now that I would not have had. Look at this time and space that I get to be with like two of the loveliest human beings and yeah. just like every day. And, you know, just like, that was, that was like the most beautiful experience I think I've ever had that never would have happened so it becomes really easy on that side yeah. of it and it's such a special time isn't it because death gives you this very big awakening to what life is to what life means and it mm -hmm. and it can boils down to love that's what it boils down to yeah time everything it just boils down to love and I think it gives you that time and that space when you do know that that time is coming and you have time to say mm. goodbye yeah you get to do so much of that grieving process with them still here and mm -hmm. it makes once they're gone not easier but more there is an element to it which I guess is more comforting it's you've you've kind of been able to spend that time with them and show them how much you love them yeah. their body is here with you yeah and it, it you're absolutely right that process of grieving we had to remind ourselves that that's what we were doing often like mm -hmm. you know um mom and I there were times where it was like really just hard like life was just hard during that time and actually the the book is like the beginning of that time where we were taking care of them and and things things were getting harder we weren't sure day to day like yeah. what was going to happen um and we had to remind ourselves like we're actively grieving all the time and you have to hold a lot of space for yourself and the people around you and it's like not always a very graceful process um it doesn't always bring out the most kind uh, like um like reactions when yeah. you like are confronted with any kind of conflict in your environment or anything like that um your grief will sometimes act out on other circumstances or you know like like a, a flat tire or you know like your grocery store running out of something you know it's like you find yourself having working out that energy yeah. in your whole entire life but it is such a beautiful process yeah. And one of the things, and I, this, this um, journal entry was, I think, in, in the book, is that I got this message 
pretty early on in this like active grieving process, um, the light came through and told me, you know, like that, like what death is as an opening for understanding love more, which is what you were saying. It's like, and knowing that that connection and that love doesn't die, energy lives forever, that that love still exists and those people and those connections are, are still present. Um, and that was like a really beautiful thing that I reread and carried through that whole time because it just, it needs reminding when you're in that. I was so afraid through so much of that time of like losing all of them and then it happens you know I'm like they you know I in in um four years yeah I think it was four years um my dad who I wasn't close with but who I did help at the end of his life and it was um my dad my German shepherd my great uncle my great aunt two cats and my little dog they all passed within. And the last five of those, my my great uncle and great aunt, the cats, no, the last, yeah. And the little dog um, was all within, I think, 19 months. So it was just like constant yeah. holding space for end of life. And that also is a, a pretty big gateway for spiritual oh. expansion because- it, it makes you question so much. Yeah. And I was, I was so afraid and like, you know, and then at a certain point, each of those beings, it was clear, it was time yeah. and there they went, you know, it was like, it, it was, but all the fear, like looking back on it, it was like, you know, you're afraid because you're human and because in 3d, the loss is awful. And I miss each and every one of that. I'm going to be honest my dad, it wasn't the kind of relationship you miss. I'll, I'll be completely honest there. But every, all of the others were like the type of beings that you miss in, in your daily life, you know? Yeah. And yeah, then like I don't. Like I very early after my great uncle left, um, like that day, pretty much, I was like, oh my God, I miss you so much. And I heard him say, what for? <sighs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> They don't get like on the other side, they don't necessarily get why we miss them so much because they're just continuing the connection. And we're like, but you're, but like, I used to be able to be in a room with you. And they're like, ah, that's no big deal. Yeah. But it is, you know, it is. We have to like be human and hold space for both how beautiful it is and how hard it is and how sad it is and how joyful it is and all of it all together. Yeah. And I think those end of life, that time of, end of life because it's unknown there's no yeah. there's no timer saying this is how long is left there's there's no way of knowing so it ends up being that nearly all of your conversations are around what is going on um yeah. we are very much loving and supporting our cat tina in her final chapter of her life mm -hmm. and all of the conversations are around Tina yeah of course. and then I look at her and I'm just like she she has no idea that we are so desperately worried and mm -hmm. I kind I, I've seen it so often I've had so many pets I mean yes. at one point I had 27 cats in my family wow. yeah so I've 
I have gone through this process so many times um, of this end of life process with pets. It never gets easier. No, it's so hard. Oh, but there's more of a knowing around it. There's more of this. I was trying to explain it to Fraser the other day that there just comes a day where you know that's the day. And yeah. it's it's a knowing that you can't explain. Yeah. And that's the day that it's going to be. And then somehow the next day, another pet, those that place that that pet had, if you have other pets, they I don't know how they do it, but they fulfill some of the behaviors that that pet had. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, it, it's so strange. And I can't explain it any more than that. But suddenly they start doing they kind of like, okay, it's my turn to take that position on or that role on. I'm stepping up. Like I've had my promotion. Here I am. Yes. Ready for my next job kind of thing. Because um, we, we, we were talking about, Fraser said, nobody's ever going to give us the cuddles in bed like Tina does because that's her thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, honestly, one of them will step up because there's mm-hmm. just something I don't know what happens it I almost it may sound silly but it's almost like before they go they kind of go and here's what you have to do and here's what you have to do and yes I absolutely feel safe (laughs) yes it will comfort them make sure you do Mm -hmm. these roles these these are your jobs yes I even like uh well first of all oh I'm I'm sorry that you're going through it because it is so hard and no matter how like you said no matter how many times so um like my heart is very much with you as you hold that space um but you know it's so funny you say that because when little dog died I like little dog was like my emotional support animal like she legitimately we went everywhere together when my German shepherd Marcy died um little didn't want to be alone I didn't want to be alone we were very much in shock because that one was really sudden and um and so I said to her I was like okay if you want to do this she was kind of like a you know the chihuahua attitude where you know they'll bark and bite and you know she was like she was a pretty sassy gal and I was like, if you want to do this, you have to behave like you have to like, if you want to like go places with me, you have to like be a therapy dog. Like this is what it takes. <laughs> this is how you do it. And she did. So for four years, we traveled around like that. But She took her job really, really seriously. And so she would like when my energy levels were flagging and I needed to sit down, she would bark at me until I sat down. Yeah. And so when she died, mom's dog like started doing that to me. And I was like, it was absolutely like little dog had said, okay, here's gonna, here's gonna be, she doesn't know what's good for her. And you're gonna need to tell her and you're gonna need to be super annoying when you do it. And you're gonna need to not stop no matter what until she sits down. But this dog, she's here in the room with me. Um, like she, she never did that yeah. ever. And now it's like, it's her job. So they really do, they do. It's like, it's like before the one who's leaving leaves, they they make sure that things are taken care of. Yeah, right. It, it, it's just, it, it mind boggles me. I see it time and time again happen. Um, and I had a conversation with the vet. The, our vet is incredible and they're amazing. Yeah. They're really supporting us. Um, and they've given us so many choices. And I kind of explained that 
unfortunate I've had the unfortunate experience of giving um, this kind of palliative care that mm -hmm. that is required and I have no interest in lasting her life out longer than she needs so the yeah. moment that she's not comfortable is the moment that we will take her yeah. to the vets and and they were like no that's completely fine and can we talk about medication and I said as long as she is still Tina mm -hmm. and that whilst looking at her if I couldn't see her eye because her eye is now covered in um, cancerous tumors if I couldn't yeah. see that yeah. I would not know no different yeah then we will do medication but the moment that that medication starts affecting her and making her dopey or making her or have side effects which just basically are prolonging her life for me yeah it's time because I mean she's done 13 years of very hard work with me <laughs> mm -hmm. looking after me and taking care of me and yes it's my turn now to make sure that these this final chapter is full of so much love and everything yes. that she needs yeah yeah and isn't it so interesting how like how they let you know when they want to fight and when they don't like yeah. my cat mouse um he he was just like really working hard to stick around as long as he could and his kidneys were failing and so one of the things they said is like you can do subcutaneous fluids at home and it's like I don't know if you've ever done it it's like a big needle that you put in under their skin and you have to sit there for a couple minutes and let the fluids drip in and I was like do you want to do this? And he did, he wanted to, and he, he would just sit there and allow it to happen. And it got him a couple more weeks. It wasn't long, long, long term, but he wanted, like, I understand now he had a very specific, like set of circumstances he wanted to leave under. And actually he passed right at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, like right at the beginning of, of, official pandemic. And um, we ended up needing to leave the house that we were in and all be together in like a smaller house. And, you know, and there weren't as many doors and um, mom's dog is like not doesn't like cats and cats don't like her. And so, you know, it's not it wouldn't have been we wouldn't have been able to. And he left right at the point where it was like, it would be okay for us to go to this other house, you know, within days before. And it was like, just so interesting that, but he wanted to fight to stay as long as he could in that way to do whatever job. It was really interesting because he would move as he was dying, he would move throughout the house and lay in different places. So I don't know what kind of like energy grid he was forming as he was doing it, but it was like, I would try and like get him into a more comfortable place. And then he would be like, nope, I'm going back to that spot. Like I have a, I have a job let me do my job, you know? And so it, yeah. So it is interesting how each one was so unique and individual in how they were yeah, doing their jobs as they were leaving. Oh, well, as unique and individual as they all are. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, oh, bless them. They're, they are. I mean, Katie is now 16 and just rules this house rules us all everything has to be as Katie wishes it to be and mm -hmm. if it's not then 
she will let everyone know. <laughs> yeah, you know, like obviously. <laughs> what else? Absolutely. I, I mean, everything goes flying off shelves, and she there's oh so much gosh. attitude to her, and it's proper like waiting until you make eye contact before she knocks things off. There's there's so much sassy attitudes there, yes. and I can't help but laugh at her. I can't. It's just. I find also the naughtier the animal or child, the more I just warm to them. I can't yeah. help it. And I think that's yeah. why I've always, in my work, I've always ended up working with children and young people who can be very cheeky, who are who yeah. really push boundaries, who are very rebellious, who are very naughty. It's, it's the characters that I'm drawn to. Um, I mean, Fraser yesterday said to me, the reason Arthur is like your main man is because he's so naughty all of the time and you can't help but laugh at him. And I turn around so that he, the cat doesn't see me. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to let you see me laughing at you. He's so naughty. Yeah. Um, but it's that I'm so drawn to those personalities of, of doing cheeky things. And yeah, it's... I am too. I think that's really interesting because I, I think that that those are the people who are, you know, most likely to be working outside of the structure, mm -hmm. you know, like whatever it is that they're trying to work out, they're not willing to do it on anyone else's terms. Yeah. And I've always appreciated that in a person. Yeah. Okay. Or an animal. Like you're right. Yeah. Same. They're, they're, they're doing their own thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, because I've had some some pretty little dog was so sassy, so sassy. And I had a cat beast who reminded me of of um, Katie's energy is like, he was just like, so I don't want to say needy, though he was, but he was just so like, his own man, just just as as bold and presumptuous as possible. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Katie is tiny. She weighs like three kilos. Yeah. She's so small. People who come to our house and meet her, they're like, how old is she thinking she's a kitten? And she's yeah. 16 and she runs around walls and she doesn't most of the time act like an old lady. She has odd days here and there where, and it really is an act. She acts like an old lady because it gains her quite <laughs> attention. Yeah. Um, but it's, she's so tiny she's small but mighty though she yes. can cause like absolute chaos within seconds <laughs> I love it mm -hmm. it's just her energy and I just love it so much um yeah. throughout your book Jodie there are the most beautiful pictures of nature and I'm oh, willing to you. guess that many of them have been taken in your garden um could you tell us about your garden please yes I I love my garden. I have, so where do I begin? Um, I used to live in New York City and um, I ended up um, in this place where it's like, it was the neighborhood that that's right by the only remaining old growth forest in all of New York City. And so I had the dogs and I was going for walks and I was like around these huge trees and I started hearing them talk to me and I was like, what the heck is going on here? And, um, and that, that sort of like 
that process of, of starting to communicate with trees made it very clear to me that I needed to move somewhere where I could start digging in the earth and start planting things and start growing things. And um, so I moved here to Northern Michigan, and which is like very small town. It was like as opposite of a place that I could possibly live um, almost as possible. And so um, I ended up in, in this house where we live now, actually. Um, and I started to just like work with the nature spirits here to grow things. Mm -hmm. And I then, when I got really sick, I, I had to leave this house and move in with mom. And I was so, so, so fortunate. Well, the light works the way it does. Right as we were getting ready to try and figure out what to do with the house, a friend called and needed a place to stay. Mm -hmm. And she ended up renting my house for three years while I needed someone to stay here. And then, so I was able to keep the house. And then, um, you know, we were living in the city and um, we were in the city of Detroit and um, I was not doing great again. Like the air quality was bad and, and the beginning of the pandemic, we just like wanted to be where we could grow things. Um, the grocery stores were empty. So it was like, oh, we need, we need food gardens like now. Um, so we came back up here and we were able to, and, that, and, and then we decided, um, well, it's interesting because it was, it was really hard. We loved our, our house in the city and um, we had a really cute little city garden there. And some of the pictures in the books are, are yeah. from that garden. And some of the plant spirits that I um, channeled messages from are from that garden. And I still hold such a, like a really deep love in my heart for that little tiny garden that was in Detroit. Um, but we started to realize that this, you know, this like house away from it all was much more um, what we needed. And as I tuned in and I was like, what are we going to do about the city house? One of my main guides was like, one day you'll realize that you don't even have to make the decision, that it's just been decided. And that's yeah. how it was. Mom and I just one day were like, okay, yep, it's, it's, we can sell the Detroit house. We can, we can just like fully commit to our life here. So as we came back to this house, it was so interesting because some of the things that I had planted, I moved here in, in 2009 and was, you know, here until um, 2015. Yeah. And like, we, they were coming back. Some of the like flowers were coming back. And um, in fact, just this like late summer of a plant that a friend had given me years ago, just, and it never really took where it was. It like never really did great where it was. And it just came back this summer, like, you know, probably 10 years later. And so we started to notice that, that um, I would hear about a plant and then it would like pop up. Last year, as little was dying, I was, um, I heard this podcast where someone was talking about, I think it's, you say it Datura, but it's like a moonflower and it's um, a poisonous plant. And it is like very, the podcast I was listening to talked about it being like a very Plutonian mm -hmm. energy, taking you through your like Pluto lessons, which, um, you know, have a lot to do with death and, and grief. And as she was dying, this Datura just came out of nowhere, like, and was in the garden. So we have this, this, like this co-creation going where things that are 
needed are showing up and things that we are um, nurturing are just flourishing. So all of the years that I lived here, I would gaze, it's like a little city, it's like a little town, you know, and so um, it's not like, uh, the, I think compared to the UK, the yards here are pretty big, but it was like not like a huge, it wasn't acres by any means, I think it's like a quarter acre, and I would gaze over the fence at this like empty lot next to us, and so this winter, I finally like got the push to like look up in the tax rolls, like who owns that lot? And I, I didn't, we didn't have our printer here because we hadn't moved everything from the city. And like, so I hand wrote a note to this guy who lived out of town and, um, and I, I mailed it and I like certified mail so that I know if he like ever received it. And he called me. And one of the things that he said was like, I felt like I could sell this to you because of the handwritten note. I was like, I would never, my handwriting is terrible. I would never have handwritten a note if I had had a printer available, but it was just like, so meant to be. So we, so we were able to get the, this empty lot next to us. And we um, started to talk about like, okay, what are we going to do? We knew we, our goal for health reasons in particular is to grow as much of our food as we can, as we can. So um, because of the energetic components of our food, like as much, I, I, need, I need the clarity of the energy as much as I possibly can with my food. Um, Cause I have a hundred million food sensitivities and they change moment to moment to moment to moment. I think you know how that goes, right? Yeah. So, um, so we're standing out there mom and I, and we're like, okay, you know, it seems like it'll be like a circle. And she looks over and she's like, what if it was shaped like a sun? Could we do that? And so we have a sun garden now where it's like this huge circle with these like triangle beds off of it in the shape of a sun. And so, um, that's, that's, so some of the pictures in the book, the sun garden hasn't was after the book was already done. So, um, none of those, but like, and yeah, we just, we just have, um, such, such a, I'm just so grateful for this space that we get to co-create with and these beings that we get to co-create with, because it really is so special how, you know, we start to work on something and then they like, they just like make it happen. You know, we, we like tomatoes and suddenly tomatoes are popping up everywhere that we didn't plant. And, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. And can you, isn't it interesting how we can, we can almost push and, and really put pressure to grow certain things and it doesn't work. And we try all of these ways and we're desperately fighting to grow it. And then something else will just pop up and, and do its yeah. own thing. And I don't know, I, I think there's so much there are so many lessons to be learned in gardening and, and within there? nature. Yeah. But I really feel like that's such a big one. Stop pushing, stop trying, because when it comes naturally, when it just does, that's it. That's, that's, that's where the flow is. And that's been our biggest lesson this growing season has been like, we planted, I don't know, probably over a hundred sunflower seeds and none of them came up. And we were like, how is this possible? Like, you know, and I think some of them probably got eaten and whatnot, but 
we, and then after all, like all hope was lost, you know, we we're never going to see sunflowers. Then at the end of the season, they started growing and blooming. Like, I think we got five of them. So it wasn't, and the same thing with these strawberry plants, we, we got bare root strawberry plants and weren't able to take proper care of the bare roots when, because, because of the move actually is what happened. Um, but we planted all of them and then like only two of them out of a hundred survived, you know? And then at, at like at some point in September, one of them has a berry on it. And we're like, where did you come from? And it's like the, the repeated message all season long has been like, just let go and like be present with it because hope is not lost. Yeah. And often we lead ourselves when we start putting pressure on it and we're, we're holding on so tightly we lose it. We, we make different decisions. We don't make the decisions that we would make if we were, if we were just believing in it and had faith that it will happen. Yeah. We're desperately clutching, aren't we? And and grasping and holding on. And so therefore our whole energy and everything we do has that, that negative grasping and desperately holding on to something energy. Whereas when we have that faith and we're just like, be present and and it will work or if it if it's meant to work it will it will come yeah there is a totally different energy to it it it, you act in a different way you speak in a different way you take different actions don't you Mm -hmm. definitely and then you know one of the things that I have learned so much about through the channeled writing process and um and I talk about this a bit in the book one of one of the reasons I came to like my fear came to a head and this this work came about was um because like we had a really upsetting election here in 2016 and i i was watching the news really closely and really fixating and really feeling very very anxious and seeing some things that didn't didn't um things happen in the world that didn't feel in alignment with what i felt was right as like uh, for for like a right way to treat other people and um so when I would ask like what can I do like particularly as someone whose body is is not very reliable like I couldn't be out you know at protests I couldn't be out like I didn't have a lot of energy and anytime I had wanted to write that kind of stuff like as a former newspaper reporter I, I like you know, had dreamt of being a columnist and writing about politics and doing all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was stopped in my tracks because it was the stress levels actually of, and that like mental activity. So would, would just like make me that clenching energy would come up. And so I started, you know, really asking like, what can I do to help? Mm. And so much of the guidance was around changing my own energy. Yeah. And that when we heal, that we really are, and it, it sounds so grandiose, but it's not at all if you get the energy of it. When we heal ourselves, we help heal the world because everything is existing in oneness. We're all interconnected. And if we can create that space that is more expansive, that is more in the flow, that is more healed and constantly healing, we are really helping and doing a great service to all of the other beings that we coexist with. 
And so that when you talk about that clenching energy, it's like, what's going to, what is, what's going to grow around that like tight fist clenched up anxious, fearful energy versus what could grow around that, like really flowing present in the moment. And obviously it's, it's a process and, and it's, you know, it's not to ever judge ourselves when we clench up and feel anxious, you know, it, it just is, is, it's a a reminder that, you know, we're all in the progress and we're all in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Jodie, on the podcast, I'm asking every guest if they could change something that was taught in school or add something that was taught in schools, what would it be? I've thought of this because I've listened to the podcast. So I, I did have like a little bit, I was like, oh, she's asking that question of everyone. And I think that what, what I would have most appreciated as like a very anxious and very depressed child is mindfulness. I think that like, not so much meditation as like mindfulness, because one of my biggest lessons in this life has been that I need to, I, I let my mind control me as opposed to the other way around. So like our minds are so useful and they're so vital and they can do so many wonderful things. But for me, that it often gets, gets, you know, like on top of me and just like really punishes me at times. And so I think that had I had any understanding at all of mindfulness, and, and I think that that would change so much about how kids see themselves, see the world, see their place in the world. Um, well, and we were talking before we got on about social media, how they how they interact with social media, how they interact with all the different input that they're getting, like that presence and that ability to stop and, and watch your mind and follow, like, just, just watch it and, and collect data and see what it's, why it's doing the things it's doing, where those thoughts are coming from. Are they coming from me? Are they coming from someone else? Are they coming from something I saw in an ad somewhere? You know, there's there. Our mind doesn't necessarily come with like a whole lot of discernment. It just crowds in there and shouts at us, doesn't it? Just and that we have no, we are not consciously going. Oh, I like that opinion. I will. I'll keep that. That one resonates with me. I don't like that opinion. I'm not going to keep it. Our mind's just like yeah. a sponge, and like I'll have it all. Yeah. And then what a chaotic mess it is in there. And that's been the biggest thing for me. And that's one of the things that like, I am not a very good meditator. We've we've talked about like how, you know, like that's not really a, like a good value judgment to have, but it's true. I, I don't have a natural inclination to just like sit and quiet my mind. So for me, it has very much been about paying attention to if it's going to shout at me or chatter at me or just be in a loop how do I step out of that loop get out of the emotion that's created because the mind starts worrying and worrying and worrying and it churns up all the emotions and then it's just a real mess then when our feelings are involved but if you can sort of like just get above it 
and continue to get above it every time you like get back in it, like to, as soon as your awareness gets pinged, like, Hey, wait a second, let me get above this and look at what's happening. Then it shifts so much energetically, but it's, it's not something that in this current society, I think anyone does without a whole lot of practice. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if it was like more inherent in humans before um, technology. Um, I think that there was more space before technology and, and we come back again to that that topic around space and time but technology has found a way in which to fill all of the space within our day Mm -hmm. and so there's no space for mindfulness we've got no time to process anything have we and to really question those thoughts and where they've come from what they are before we go on to the next thing already it's that constant scrolling so I wonder whether there was more mindfulness then yeah, it seems like it. Every and, second and every minute. Yeah, and I think this is the other thing that would be really useful, I think, um, in schools, and I hadn't thought about this before, but um, like teaching kids about whether or not they're highly sensitive. Mm. And like, if you're highly sensitive, what what does that mean? And yeah. how do you process the world differently than those who like can go into like a room where people are fighting and not feel sick to their stomach or yeah. not then like take on the weight of like the entire emotional turmoil of their family life or their teachers, you know, like, you know, like marital conflicts that they maybe they don't even know about with yeah. their mind, but they're picking up from the teacher's response to their answer to a question, you know, like. It's just like, there's so much happening in the world around us. And now more than ever, like people are really lost and afraid. And so if you're highly sensitive, you're navigating constantly all of that fear and all of that panic and all of that hopelessness all around you all the time. And so how do you discern what actually is yours and what you're picking up from outside? And that I think is like training that we... Yeah, we could all use, right? Oh, absolutely. Those of us who are highly sensitive, it's taking that on and kind of, and it's explaining it to others. And it's quite difficult to be understood when you explain it to others, even things like, I don't know, road rage. Oh, sure. Just absolutely makes me feel sick and it makes my stomach just go into knots. And, and I, I feel so uncomfortable. I just want to run away because my response is flight. I I want to run away from situations. Yes. I just want to remove myself from it. Well, and you're literally in danger because like cars are dangerous. Mm. So like, yes, it's a really, it's a really frightening place to be um, watching someone's emotional state get more and more and more aggravated. And you're like, wait a second, we're like, Mm we're in a place where emotions aren't super useful and I and I also think when I'm driving and I see other drivers have road rage especially if it's directed (laughs) at me I think for that I I hope in that moment that for that person letting that out has then gone and they don't feel that anymore but it stays with me like I'm driving for ages and ages and I'm still thinking like 
what did I do wrong? Why did that person do that to me? That's made me feel really awful. It's made me panicky. And that that energy within me stays within me, that kind of shaky energy of that was horrible. Yeah. Stays there. But I just, yeah. but there is also this element that I think I hope that hasn't stayed with them too, because then there's two of us <laughs> yeah. going in our separate ways that have been affected by this. At yeah. least I hope it served a purpose for you, <laughs> even if it's really negatively kind of had an impact on me on my commute. I hope that at least that has dispelled that. Yeah, yeah, I often wonder have they expelled it? And is that yeah. why for them that serves as something? And it's like somehow satisfying. I don't know. You know, it's really interesting. I used to be like much more road ragey and and I don't know um like what. I think there was just a point where I was like, what is this going to change? But then mm-hmm. does it change something for some people? Like you're saying, does that somehow work out their, their emotional needs? Yeah, but I'm not sure. One of the things though that we do in every time we get in the car, and I, I just find this so useful and maybe some of your listeners will as well, and you too, is like we call on Archangel Michael to surround the vehicle completely in blindingly bright white light. And we do it 50 feet in front, behind, to the left, to the right, above and below. And we ask that it be an impenetrable force field that no objects, animate or inanimate, be allowed to cross through into the force field and that each and every passenger within and in all the other cars be kept completely safe from harm. And that really has shifted, I think, a lot of how we experience the road Mm. because with people being so afraid, so lost, so in such like extremely heightened emotional states so often without any real grounding, and then getting behind the wheel, it it is, there is a component of it where we've noticed, and I don't know if it's like that there as well, but we've noticed at times where, you know, like people are just checked out, like they're yeah. pulling into other cars without even looking. They're just like, and so that makes us feel like we have that bubble around mm-hmm. us. And we've had some neat circumstances where we were like, oh, wow, this works because one time, um, we were driving on the freeway. So it was like going really, really fast. And, and we were on a fairly long trip and um, the brakes went out when we got into our own driveway. So like the car chose like the moment we were safe and the brakes went out completely. And like, we had to like get it to the mechanic, Uh, you know, but so we've always felt, we were like, thanks Archangel Michael. Like (laughs) we just feel like, we've seen enough circumstances where we feel like, okay, that, that was confirmation of Mm. this protection, you know? Yeah. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. It's wild out there. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Jodie, you're going to be launching something very, very exciting very soon, aren't you? I am. I am. I am. I have been really called to create a community on Patreon. Mm -hmm. And in part, it is to continue writing the journals because the first book was just the first book. So I have all these binders stuffed full of loose leaf paper that was just the years of me tuning in almost daily to get whatever guidance I could. And so I've got, um, I've got the next volume sort of getting ready to uh, write and I want to share it as I write it. 
And I did that last year on my website with volume one. And I just like, but I want, I want a sort of cozier community to do that within. So all of the writing is going to be available there. And I also feel really called to create a little bit of um, like a space to gather in. Mm -hmm. So um, some of the tiers will have access to group readings on Zoom where we can get together as a community. I'll tune in, I'll do a reading for the group, and then people can ask questions as individuals. I mean, depending on, on who is there, you know, it could be some pretty significant one-on-one -on -one time for questions to be answered, you know. And one of the beautiful things I always find about any kind of group stuff is that we're, we're called to be a part of groups where we're learning the same things, you know? So like so often when you and I connected, it was like, oh, we've had so many similar experiences. We have so much in common. There's so much like of our, our, our spiritual understanding of the world we live in and how our, how our, our experience works. That was so in alignment. And, and that's what I find with so many of the people that have found their way to the David connection is like, we're all learning the same things. So I think that having a space where there's groups that can be in community together so much, I will learn so much. I learn so much every time I tune in for someone. It's such an honor and a joy to be able to do that for people because my awareness expands every time I do it. And then for other people to get like, the same questions they've always had answered. I think that's going to be really, really neat. And then there's like, you know, um, like books available and things like that. I, it was, I really was, I, I, I've felt this push for a couple years and I was like, not sure, you know, what, what to do or how to do it. And then all of a sudden one day, like, I just got how all of the tears would work. Like, it was just like, yeah. like a channeled message, like, here you go. Here's what you can give people. Here's how it can work. And here's the, like, the most important part is the community aspect. Yeah. So like, I really hope people will use like the community page on it and, and things like that. But so that's happening very soon, maybe probably actually, even by the time the episode airs, it, it will probably be up. So and where will, will people be able to find that on your Instagram, your website, Jodie? Yes, yes. I'll put the links there. And then also it's under the David Connection on Patreon. So I think too, if people search the David Connection, it should show up. But yeah, I'll put the links on my website and on uh, Instagram. Yeah. And I'll put the links in the show notes as well. Thank so you so much. Um, my, I've got a question. The final question yeah. I ask everybody on yeah. the podcast is how are you going to be kind to yourself over the coming week? That's such a good question. And it really does take such a moment to stop and process. Um, I have been needing a lot of rest lately. And so I've just recently gotten back to crocheting, which I hadn't been doing very much. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the kindest things I can do for myself. As long as I haven't decided that I'm going to make someone something by a certain date, <laughs> <laughs> then I've had some real, some real deadlines that I have like not, <laughs> not found very like comfortable and nourishing. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that 
this is such a good reminder. I'm going to, I'm going to like use this as an accountability piece because I've been pushing to get these things going, to get these things launched. And I'm going to just make it a point in these coming days to let it flow and not be locked in my mind so much and not be locked. It's so interesting because we have such a need to use our minds to like figure things out. Like, oh, it's so, it's so good to be able to figure out how an app works and to be able to use it to connect with people. And, and then you have to like, also just like stop for a bit and like, yeah, it's It's really really hard. Fantastic for the practical things. It's not so great for the tuning in soul searching things that really guide and, and, and get us into flow. That will be so lovely. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's, I really enjoy the podcast. I think it just has such a beautiful energy to it. I'm so like grateful to you for your work, the space you hold for people. It's just, it really is so nourishing. And so thank you for all that you do too. Oh, thank you, Jodie. And I will pop where you can find Jodie in the show notes um, as well as her Patreon and her wonderful book. Um, Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And as a little reminder, because you are a Soulful Nourisher now, you've listened to an episode. As Soulful Nourishers, we know that resting is an investment in ourselves, our well-being our energetic capacity. We know that play is not just for children, it enables souls of all ages to connect to creativity and joy. As soulful nourishers, we know that food is love and joy. It fuels, connects and creates. It is culture, tradition and nourishment. We know that breaks give our minds time to refocus. And we know that relaxing is the act which creates energy. It is not a waste of time. Above all, as Soulful Nourishers, we know that we are doing the best we can with the resources, time, energy, knowledge, wisdom, experience and capacity that we have to hand. Always. Be gentle. Be kind. You're doing the best you can. Always. With lots of love, Peter and the cat.